Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Tuesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Three of us back together. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. Nathan Baird, back. Now, nah, the Monday podcast, we were all there, but that was pre-recorded a week early. We're not here to trick you. We're just trying to get by, man. We got vacations. Nathan, you had a honeymoon to do, even though you got married last year. We don't want to get too far into what we're going to do on this podcast. We're going to finish up. We did a top 50 Ohio State opponents, the 50 best players they're going to play in the regular season. That's done Number one, Kayvon Thibodeau, is up Tuesday morning. We're going to talk about that list and what we learned from it. And then on the Wednesday pod, we're going to reveal the Cleveland.com voting for the Big Ten preseason stuff, which, again, Cleveland.com owns that. We do it. Nobody else does it. We do it. That's going to be on Wednesday. So we're kind of wrapping up. We're looking ahead. but So that's what's coming. We're going to talk about the best players on Ohio State schedule. But, Nathan, how is Hawaii? Oh, it's man. Yeah. It's, it's awful. Like you really have to struggle to, to want to get out of bed in the morning when you're in Maui. No, it's, it, it's one of those places that it doesn't just really live up to your expectations. I think it surpasses it. And this was my second time going, um, but my first time really getting to like experience, like not working and being on the Island. And it, it's uh, it was a great time. And then, so yes, we got married last summer and then we just did our honeymoon, but I did the honeymoon. We also just had another wedding. We had like our big full wedding this past Saturday, two days ago. So we did that because I wanted to get it done. So it didn't have any work conflicts with what's, what's coming up. But what it essentially means is that um, less than 48 hours after getting having this big wedding, I'm sitting here talking to you guys. So it's been a, a whirlwind here the last week or so. So you were able to have the wedding that you kind of were unable to have last year. Like, like you guys had the good experience it's not like the pandemic screwed up your wedding it just delayed the party for a year yeah and yeah it uh, other than timing of it you could actually say we probably came out better because we got to have the small family ceremony that was a great experience last year and then then we got to have the great big thing this year and uh so we got two weddings for the price of two weddings (laughs) nice all right well good so um good to have you back i think we're kind of buckled in, ready to go. Again, we'll all be at Big Ten Media Days starting Thursday. Thursday and Friday, Ohio State actually goes Friday. 
Um, the Ohio State players are kind of early afternoon on Friday, and Ryan Day is one of the, late, the last people. But it looks like we're going to have like a normal Big Ten media day. It's like an hour with people like hanging out. So we hope that comes to fruition. And as we record this, SEC media day is going on. So you're probably seeing stuff about that. College football is here. So let's wrap up the best dudes that Ohio State is playing this season. We've been working on this for 50 days. We've tabulated this, and I, I did – think when we did it it was interesting that five of the top seven uh players were defensive guys and all of the top three and all of the top three nathan are pass rushers on our list aiden hutchinson of michigan was number three george Karloftis of purdue was number two and Kayvon thibodeau of oregon was number one I think it's possible that a year from now, Kayvon Thibodeau and George Karloftis are the first two edge rushers off the board in the NFL draft. In a world where we often talk about how, well, you know, Ohio State doesn't have to face this many great this and this many great that. They have two of the best tackles in the country, and they are going to need them because they are facing some dudes. And to me, that's the number one thing that I came out of this with, like Thayer Munford and Nicholas petit Frere are really valuable to the Buckeyes. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it crystallized how much of a storyline that is for this season. You, if you think about the important things as we're approaching this season, it's now you know a month away, less than a month away from practice getting started and everything. Yes, the quarterback decision is a big one. Yes, the, the running back rotation is a big one. Yes, figuring some things out in the defensive backfield is a big one. But this confluence of Ohio State having these two potentially great offensive tackles and these three defensive ends that they're going to have to face this year. And not just that, um, set Karloftis aside for a second because he and David Bell are really strong, but Purdue overall is pretty mediocre, but the, the or appears to be. But the, the other two, like what are the two biggest games on Ohio State schedule this year? You could argue that it's second game of the year at home against Oregon and the Michigan game, as always. And two of those guys, Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau, are among not just the best guys on this list, the best edge rushers in the country. Kayvon Thibodeau might be the best defensive player in the country. Um, he certainly gets gets recognized as such. We'll talk about that more later. But, I mean, that, that it, it should help people realize just how important those two offensive tackles are going to be to what Ohio State can be this season. When you look at Phil Steele's preseason magazine, his preseason All-American team, he has three Ohio State players on his first team, All-American team. He has Chris Olave, Thayer Munford, and Haskell Garrett. There's only one player that Ohio State faces in the regular season who's on his first team preseason All-American team, and it's Kayvon Thibodeau. George Karloftis is a second team preseason All-American for Phil Steele. Steven, we saw what Chase Young can do to teams. How... I don't know. Well, there's a particular thing I want to talk about when we get to Karloftis, but we're going to talk about Thibodeau first. I don't know that it's fair to say that a, that a pet, that an edge rusher can win a game by himself. That's probably a bit too far, but I think in the right circumstance, he can come close. And like that Wisconsin game, Chase Young probably practically won that by himself, right? Like there were times when we saw that. I'm not saying – Kayvon Thibodeau is Chase Young, but he probably is the closest thing college football has to that this season. The idea that the best player that Ohio State is going to face is an edge rusher, Stephen, is that 
potentially a problem for Ohio State? Or is it like, well, I'd rather it be an edge rusher than a quarterback or a receiver or a corner or a running back? Like, what do you think of the idea that Thibodeau's the best player Ohio State's going to play? It matters depending on how much you believe in the quarterback on the other side. I think is is because to bring up the Chase Young example, the reason why Chase Young, while you can make an argument for why he won the Penn State and the Wisconsin game is he kept giving Ohio State the ball back in very favorable territory within Justin Fields and that offense could go to work. Do you think that if Thibodeau continues to get Anthony Brown in this Oregon and offense, the ball at Ohio at the 50 yard line or in Ohio state territory that Oregon can take advantage of those and take and, and produce points out of that. Then. Yeah. Basically, if you say what's the number one reason Oregon won that game, it's because of Kayvon Thibodeau, but if it's not turning it into points, then it is a little bit of a breath of fresh air. If it is a defensive end, who is the best player a team is going to face because while he can swing momentum, he can't put points on the board. I want to say real quick, uh, as long as we're talking about Thibodeau, because I just wrote this piece, and I, the Chase Young comparison is an interesting one. Coming out of high school, Thibodeau was the number two overall prospect in the 24-7 sports consensus, had a rating of 99.87. That's better than Chase Young, which is 99.57, better than Nick Bosa, that was 99.65, uh, better even than Jack Sawyer, 99.82. Only JT Tuomalau finally was an Ohio State defensive end that surpassed what what Thibodeau was coming out of high school. And then he debuts with nine sacks as a freshman in 14 games. And seven of those were in the fourth quarter of games, which is a crazy stat that I think will probably be brought up again as we're playing the third quarter of the Ohio State Oregon game here in uh, several weeks. But uh, I know, do I think Chase Young could have come out and debuted with nine sacks as a freshman if he didn't have the people in front of him that he did at Ohio State, which we've talked about multiple times? I, I think it's very possible. But when you look at just sort of the the promise that Thibodeau has put on the field so far and kind of the, the assumption that's out there. I was just reading a, a scouting report by Daniel Jeremiah from NFL.com about how much he still has to do, like how much, how far he is still away from his ceiling. A lot of people think like he, he could be a lot better as early as this year from just things that have gone on. I, I think there are some apt comparisons here. They think he might be, you could argue the best edge rusher college football has seen since Chase Young. We'll find out. So that is a, that is a real thing. That is a real thing. And again, we can go back to the Penn state game a year ago when Shaka Tony and especially Jason Oway were real things as edge rushers and Nicholas Petit Frere and Thayer Munford completely neutralized them. So if Ohio state, this is one of those, like if Ohio state didn't, have two veteran tackles coming back. I think it might be like a, not a five alarm fire, but like a three alarm fire of like, can they block this guy? They are playing this guy in week two with a quarterback who basically has never played before. And can they block him? But they're going to have as good a chance to block him as anybody in the country is going to have to block him because no matter where he lines up, he's going to have a really competent veteran tackle in his way. Now, he might beat him. Now, if he, if Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere can't slow him down, that's a real thing. But Nathan, like that idea, it is, I think it's probably, I mean, again, we're talking about, I, I'll go by, by Phil Steele as much as I'll go by anybody. We're talking about in week two, a first team All-American matchup, Thayer Munford versus Kayvon Thibodeau. This season may hinge on Ohio State's tackles, of course, right? Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, but like, 
that's the matchup that's going to be the most important matchup in the second week of the season. I think that's the important way to look at it, too, because I understand why you're bringing up Penn State and, and OA and Tony based on NFL draft, based on awards voting. Those guys were real deals, but they're not, I don't think, talked about in the same way that Thibodeau has talked about. I think we're talking about another level of player above that. And I think that's more the question. I think we know that Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Fair have achieved a status where they can even go into an opponent's stadium and fold up guys like Tony and Owe. I think it's even playing at home, the, um, uh, the, the challenge of trying to stop someone like Thibodeau, I think, is even greater. And we'll see that play out. How much more of a uh, – speaking of the fact that if they didn't have two veteran offensive line, offensive tackles coming back, this would have been a heck of a first test for Paris Johnson and all the hype that we would have been putting around his name if Thayer Munford would have actually had to leave because we weren't coming off a pandemic. And Paris Johnson's second game as a starting left tackle is going up against the guy we're sitting here calling the next Chase Young. No, that would have been really interesting. And, again, if that were the case, I would be flashing back to Taylor Decker versus Khalil Mack. Mm-hmm. And Taylor Decker was like, I guess was, I can't remember. Taylor Decker was debuting. Yeah. He was making his first start because I think he was playing right tackle that year. And then he moved to left tackle later. And it was like, he couldn't handle Khalil Mack. And I was like, what's wrong with Taylor Decker? And it's like, Oh no, 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 no. That was a little bit about Taylor Decker. That was 90% about Khalil Mack. Now it was Buffalo. So it didn't matter because no matter what Khalil Mack did, he could have 15 sacks and Ohio state would have could have won that game. But put Khalil Mack – so, okay, if he's not quite Chase Young, Nathan, you make, maybe he's the best collegiate, collegiate pass rusher since Chase Young. But Ohio State fans, he's yours. Chase Young is yours. Imagine Khalil Mack on a top 15 team. Imagine Khalil Mack on a, on a team that might win the Pac-12. Right now, all of a sudden, it really matters. And that's the situation. I'm not trying to scare Ohio State fans, Nathan, but I just uh, – I think people no. know. I think people know, but I, we want to make sure you really, really, really know. And again, in a, in in a, in seven weeks or whatever it is when they play Oregon, we're going to be talking about this even more. Yeah, I don't think it's about scaring. I think it's just about perspective. And I think the other perspective to keep in mind is yes, Munford and Petit Frere are great offensive tackles. I think if you were to go ask any team that played Ohio State in 2019, they would tell you that Chase Young was a problem for their entire offensive line, not just their tackles. It creates domino effects up and down the line there are repercussions to that you've got to double teams get involved triple teams sometimes get involved with the right guys and that's going to be an an issue here I think Steven brings it up you know what would happen if Paris Johnson moved outside well Paris Johnson will probably still be a starting offensive lineman in this game he's probably going to get a piece of Kayvon Thibodeau in some way because I think that in order to neutralize him Ohio State is going to have to use at times even more than their really great tackles straight up against him And here's the second part of this. And I want to cover all the Oregon stuff while we're on this topic. In our rankings, three of the top 12 players that we said are the best players Ohio State is going to face this year were Oregon defenders. Kayvon Thibodeau was number one. Cornerback Michael Wright was number seven. And linebacker Noah Sewell was number 12. And here's the thing that I think people need to keep in mind. In the class of 2019, because Mario Cristobal started getting rolling in the recruiting. He's the head coach. He had built his reputation as a recruiter before he became the head coach at Oregon. A lot of that reputation built at Alabama. In the class of 2019, as as Nathan mentioned, Kayvon Thibodeau, the number two overall player in the country from Southern California. Michael Wright, the corner I just mentioned, who was first team 
all Pac-12 last year, his preseason first team all Pac-12 this year, he was the number 41 overall player in the country in the class of 2019, also from Southern California. Now we go to the class of 2020. Noah Sewell, the number th- he's from Utah, the number 13 overall player in the country in the class of 2020. Justin Flo, another guy, a linebacker who's projected to start for Oregon this year, was not in our top 50, projected as a starter. He was the number six overall player in the class of 2020. And then Dante Manning, a cornerback who's in the mix for them, it feels like. I don't know if he's going to start. Might be a nickel guy. He's the number 31 overall player in the class of 2020. So we're talking about potentially Oregon may have five defenders on the field who are all top 40 national recruits. And a lot of times, Nathan, what we're looking for is, does an opponent have the baseline of talent to compete with Ohio State? And another thing that I think Ohio State fans need to be aware of now is, at least defensively, I think Oregon has that. And that is not something that Ohio State confronts most of the time in the regular season. I think that's a great point. I think flow in particular is one that we're going to look back at the end of the season, uh, or maybe as early as September 12th and say, man, we probably missed on him. He was injured last year. So that's why he isn't thought of the same way. It doesn't have the same accolades as like Sewell. I mean, Sewell and, um, and Thibodeau are the back to back now defensive freshman of the year in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys, Sewell, or, I mean, uh, Thibodeau was also a freshman All-American in, in 2019 when he had nine sacks. I mean, these are, are guys who have come out and made not just, you know, are not just progressing through their careers, but came in and made immediate star impacts. And look at the way that we're already talking about on the beat. And I know every beat probably writes up its own players to some extent. But you, look at the way that players like, you know, uh, Zach Harrison or Tyreek Smith are, are getting written about on the Ohio State beat. I, I kind of can't imagine what they'd be writing about Kayvon Thibodeau as an Ohio State player right now. Or just the, the kind of, as you're saying, just the depth of talent that's here. Um, I, I, there, it may be that these two teams are on equal footing or Oregon may even be a little bit better defensively when they play on September 11th. And you mentioned Zach, those are third and fourth year guys. You should, at this point in their career, you should be talking those guys up. Justin Flo and Noah Sewer are your two guys. And we're already talking about them like this. And Ohio State's got a couple, but I don't – outside of Paris, I don't know if there's a, a 2020 – a guy from Ohio State 2020 class that we're looking at right now and saying they're a superstar in year two. Even with Jackson Smith and the Jigba, he's the third receiver behind two superstars. While Oregon's – a lot of these defensive guys are year two people. And then you have Kayvon Thibodeau on top of all that. To me, that almost makes it a little scarier for Ohio State because it's like, well, they're young – but they're super talented. And if you're going to tell me that like these second year guys are going to be like what Ohio State's second year guys were in 2014. And it's like, oh, you mean they're going to be like Von Bell and Darren Lee and Eli Apple and Joey Bosa. And it's like, oh, oh, uh, uh, OK. We just didn't quite realize it because they hadn't shown it a ton because they were so young. But again, the idea of like second year guys popping. I mean, we, we could be looking back and saying, wow, I can't believe Ohio State and Oregon was like a playoff matchup in week two. And maybe we didn't realize it at the time that, you know, when, when you start talking about who are the best teams in the PAC 12, I mean, I think you're talking about USC, Oregon, and Washington and T our guy, the unofficial official bookmaker of Buckeye talk really likes Washington. Part of that is schedule related. 
what Mario Cristobal is doing from a recruiting standpoint, and again, we've talked, Stephen, we talk all the time, right, about everybody raids California right now. Mm-hmm. Mario Cristobal, when he got there, said, we want to make California a home state for Oregon. And if USC had Michael Wright and Kayvon Thibodeau, right, people will be going nuts. Except Mario Cristobal went out and just stole them out of their backyard. So it's like sometimes I do think the geography, listen, I think of Wisconsin and Washington are the same, right? They're just the same program, both North, very similar. I think they do more with less from a talent standpoint a lot of the time, especially when Ohio State is taking all the best players from Seattle. We know that Oregon has the Nike thing, but still a lot of the time, I think when Chip Kelly was doing his thing, it was scheme related. It was some undersized guys like, right, like Michael James and, like just different guys, like even Marcus Mariota, I guess Marcus Mariota is a pretty legit dude, but like a lot of that is like scheming you up and little fast guys. And this Steven, like Oregon has, Oregon has recruited really well and it's possible that recruiting is ready to pop like this year that it's like, I think there it's these 19 guys who are in year three and these 20 guys who are in year two, we may be ready to see the fruits of Mario Cristobal's recruiting labor. And now I'm freaking people out. Don't let me freak you out. It's possible that like, this is the announcement game for the new version of Oregon football. And it's week two in Columbus, Ohio. And Ohio, that that it's this recruiting come to fruition because again, there's not a a big 10 team where you could go through and say, hey, they they have five guys starting on their defense who are all top 30 national players. There is not a team in the big 10 outside of Ohio State where you could say that, Stephen. So for what you just talked about with Oregon trying to make California, Oregon make Oregon a home for California guys. That 19 class had 11 California guys. No other state even had more than three. In 2020, they had seven guys, and then in 2021, they had six guys. So yeah, he's already doing that to that extent. And so a lot's going to rest on this quarterback because right now we're saying all this, and this could just basically come down to Oregon loses this game because its quarterback's not quite up to par. But it's still an announcement game because instead of losing by 14 or 17, maybe you lose by a field goal. One more thing to uh, sort of stoke the fires of concern about Oregon's defense. They've got a first-year defensive coordinator in Tim DeRuiter. And traditionally, he's used, I think, like a sort of a 3-4 attack, and it allows him to take guys like Thibodeau and Sewell and these other guys and move them around and do some interesting things with them. And, you know, I, I think in the case of, like, you know, uh, Ohio State's playing Wisconsin, Ohio State's playing, I guess even someone like, um, um, Clemson with with Venables at this point, even as good as he is, as much as he moves his guys around, at least you're familiar with the scheme now and you can base it off of something. Uh, Hustle's not really going to really have as much of a, an advantage there going up against a, a first-year defensive coordinator who's going to be – they'll have one game to base on how, how to prepare for what he's going to do against them. Offensively, they don't quite stack up the same way. We did have some Oregon guys, and Nathan and I, if you guys haven't listened to it, Nathan and I did a podcast a couple weeks ago where we went over sort of the bottom 25 guys, number 50 through 26 on our list. What we're really interested here in doing is covering guys 25 through one on that list. Um, So some other Oregon guys, though, who have been on our list, uh, Devin Williams, who's like a pretty good, interesting young receiver. I kind of like him. He was number 45 on our list. Uh, Anthony Brown, the quarterback, veteran quarterback, but somewhat limited. He was number 43 on our list. Running back Travis Dye was number 36 on our list. Uh, Offensive lineman Alex Forsyth was number 27 on our list. C.J. Verdell, their other running back, was number 22. So they kind of have like a 
two-headed monster in the backfield. We had both of them on our list. And then their more veteran receiver, Johnny Johnson, was number 17 on our list. Steven, you did the Johnny Johnson cap capsule. This, this Oregon defense, I think, has, has me thinking, like, this could be a problem for Ohio State. I think some of their skill guys are good, but I think Ohio State certainly is going to face some better skill guys in the Big Ten. You know, Jahan Dotson from Penn State, I think, is more of a concern than Johnny Johnson, for instance. But, like, how good – you know, just talk a little bit about Johnny Johnson and, like, how, how good maybe are the Oregon skill guys, but Johnson mostly. K.J. Hillish, if that's fair – where it's just all reliable. He's going to catch the ball. Obviously, 2020 was a weird year, so his numbers were a little skewed up. But even if you projected them out to a number four, a 14-game schedule, they still weren't. It wouldn't have been impressive. 38 catches, 534 yards, and four touchdowns. In 2019, he was just a better receiver, 57 catches, 836 yards, and seven touchdowns. He's among the, the options, along with Devin Williams at X receiver. But, yeah, really, K.J. Hillish where he's just going to get his numbers, but the guy after him, whoever that may be, might be just might be better than he is, but he's all reliable for Oregon. And so you should expect to see four or five catches from him, but it might also only be 45 to 55 yards. Nathan, you did both running back capsules on the Oregon guys against CJ Verdell at 22. And we had previously talked a little bit about Travis Dye. That combo, like, is that sort of like, run of the mill, you know, they're pretty decent or is what, what is there to maybe fear from the Ohio state defense in that running back group? I think the thing to fear is that they're, they're both pretty good and it's not really like just a, a complimentary thing. It's a, um, they're both have some all around skills. I would say that die is the one that they may need to worry about a little bit more as a receiver coming out of the backfield. He's had some big plays for Dell is, or has been, uh, and he had some injury issues last year, which sort of allowed die to assert himself a little bit more. Um, but Verdell's the one, I think I mentioned this maybe on the last podcast. In 2019, he had something like three carries of 70 or more yards, but he was also among the national leaders in yards after contact. So he's got sort of both the breakaway ability, like demonstrated, but then also can be a grinder and then isn't afraid of contact when he needs to be. I, I think the bigger concern is how Oregon's offense could be in a position to be a little bit greater than the sum of its parts in some ways. And I say that partially because Joe Moorhead is coming back to coordinate this offense. He's a guy that is familiar with Ohio state a little bit. And um, even though that regime has changed here too, in the last few years, and they're doing some different things on defense, but regardless of his, his familiarity with Ohio state, a guy who has, is a known commodity as an offensive coordinator has done some good things. Um, you know, Justin Fields, one of the reasons he committed to Penn state the first time around was because of connection he had with Joe Moorhead. Uh, it, there's enough talent here to be a problem for Ohio state. I don't think it necessarily, they can be dismissed because their sort of all American level talent might not be on offense. Uh, I, I think there's a lot here. And even in the situation with their quarterback, Anthony Brown, we haven't talked about him yet. Um, he doesn't compare favorably to the ceiling that you look at with Ohio State's potential freshman starters, but does he compare favorably to David Blau and uh, Nate Stanley? Yeah, I'd say he probably compares compares pretty favorably. I, it at, feels at like it feels like the offense is good enough if the defense can win the game for him, right? That like sort of Nate Stephen, your point of like, well. All right, if Kayvon Thibodeau gets a strip sack, what are, what's Anthony Brown going to do with it? And I think, 
I think they might do something, right? You give them a couple 30, right? I mean, if you give them a 30 yard field, it applies to a touchdown. Is that offense going to march up and down the field and put together seven 80 yard touchdown drives against Ohio State's defense? Probably not. It feels like we're, we're talking about a team that could be potentially really good defensively and good enough offensively to back it up. I want to talk about Michael Wright a little bit. And again, this is one of those things where he can't cover Olave and Wilson, but I think he, he will be one of the better corners that they face. Um, he's a return guy. He's fast. He has some of that speed. Uh, in the 2019 class, he was the number four corner in that class when Derek Stingley, like from LSU, who's like people think could be like a Heisman candidate this year, was number one. So he's not Derek Stingley, but like he's that next group as a recruit. That's how good he is. Um, coming into this year, he's Mel Kuyper's number eight draft prospect at corner. And Phil Steele ranks him as the number six corner in the country. So, Nathan, I, I'm thinking about the levels of the defense. It's like they got a number one corner in right. They've got Sewell and Flo at linebacker that you feel like are legit dudes. And they've got the best pass rusher in the country. They've got three levels of defense working here. Yeah, I mean, do, right now, don't they have more certainty at all three levels than Ohio State does? I mean, depending on how much confidence you want to put in Taraja Mitchell or, or whoever else in the linebacker core or how much you – you really think of seven banks. Um, I think the answer is probably yes. So that doesn't mean that that will still be the case on September 12th. As I say, after we see these two teams play and maybe Ohio state's talent has started to assert itself. The, the difference right now in, in some ways also is just um, Oregon had some guys who earlier in their career had opportunities that some Ohio state players haven't had. So that's the other thing here is that maybe Ohio, some of Ohio State's players will turn out to be as good or better than these Oregon players we're talking about. It's just the Oregon players, in particular Sewell and, and Thibodeau, have had the opportunity to prove it very early, and Ohio State's players didn't necessarily. We're in a point where I think if it's 21 to 17, Oregon is probably the winner of this game. But if we get into the mid-30s, high to mid-40s, it's probably Ohio State who wins because that just means – C.J. Stroud figured it out in one week. No, I think that's probably fair. Um, it, it's one of those things that Ohio State's good enough where if they have a guy who's a top 30 recruit in the country, that guy's still probably blocked on the depth chart. At Oregon, at least they have some guys who are top 30 recruits, but when they have them, they're like, you're playing right now. So, you know, Ohio State has more depth, but if Oregon has like – Oregon – when they put 22 starters on the field is going to have at least like 10 to 12 guys of that are like top line, Ohio state caliber. And again, that is just not the world that Ohio state lives in in the regular season. We'll get into this a lot more when we get closer to that game, but it, 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 it makes me want to try to put this Oregon team in context of how good are they compared to the, the non-conference teams that Ohio state has played in the last 15 years. It's like, well, are they like Baker Mayfield, Oklahoma good? No, I don't think they are. Are they Vince Young, Texas good? No, I, I don't think they are. They have more talent than Virginia Tech did in 2014. They probably, they are, they're not like USC Mark Sanchez good either, right? But I mean, like they're better than like Washington and Miami and Cal and some of these things. Like I think they're probably in that, that tier below like Texas, Oklahoma, the best of USC and then some of these non-conference games that haven't been as good, but, but it's enough in the end, Steven, would you agree that, and this list helped me do it. Cause listen, we just did our picks on the Monday market down Monday of like, who's going to win 
the Big Ten. And like, I think I said, I don't know who's going to beat up. Like, I don't know. Where's Ohio State going to lose? And it's like, well, now I just spent 15 minutes saying like, they're going to lose. Uh, Oregon's better. Like, that's why we do this. But listen, people think, oh, they did a top 50 list just to like fill content so that Cleveland.com wasn't blank for a month and a half. This exercise helped me. Let's not pretend that isn't true at all. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it does have a, a factor. Well, okay. It, it plays a factor. Well, but, could, but I do think it's, I, no, I think it's, 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 I, I, I hope people follow along with the whole list because I think this does give you, it's not just that Oregon is going to have a rank. I think when you just come into that game and you see that Oregon has a ranking, just based on history, especially the way the last couple of years have gone, an Ohio State fan could still be a little bit dismissive of that. Maybe they're going to be like 10th or 12th or whatever, and it still seems like Ohio State is in a, a tier above that, which historically they are. But I think by doing this list, you get to put names to that number, and you put enough names to that number that it starts to mean something. It's the name. It's just putting a name on if Ohio State loses to this team, here's why. Because Kayvon Thibodeau exists or, you know, George Kaloftis exists or Michael Penix, exists. you know, it's putting a, it's more than just, you know, because I think in the past it was more about, you know, yes, it's always going to be, okay, does Ohio State have a hole, but also does the team who beat Ohio State have something that can exploit that hole? Here are 50 people who might be able to exploit whatever hole Ohio State has this year. And, and, and the thing is, I mean, if you were going to say, what is Ohio State's potential hole, right? It probably would be two things. And this is like the kind of thing that we'll spend all of August talking about. But it probably would be the secondary. And it probably would be an experience at quarterback, right? Is that generally speaking, is that maybe where we are? And so it's like, okay, well, then who can exploit that hole? And it's like, I don't know, maybe a defense with like a bunch of huge recruits against a quarterback making a second career start. A little bit of that lines up. And now, you know, you hope Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere and and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jeremy Ruckert and Harry Miller can can ease all of that and handle that. But this is a individually talented defense that Ohio State is facing in week two. And I think that was worth the exercise for people to get an understanding of that. We will get into more of the guys on this list, in particular a couple guys from Purdue and a guy from Indiana as we dig into some of these Big Ten players. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice back with Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. Um, I would direct you guys, if you haven't listened to the Friday podcast about the recruitment of Terrell Pryor, it is like the best feedback that I've had for a podcast ever. And so I think a lot of people did listen to it. If you kind of were like, I don't know if that's what I, I don't want to let. We've even had some people who are like, I don't know if I was going to listen to it. Then I listened to it. It was really good. Adam Jardy was a fantastic guest. It was a thing that I was as dug into as a reporter as anything that I've covered here at Ohio State. So I had a little more insight to add than usual because usually I'm just making stuff up and saying weird things. So if you haven't listened to it, I would go listen to it because the feedback has been tremendous. And if you guys, if you sent a text or a tweet about that, um, Thank you for that. The other thing is the other, the national college football podcast is up and rolling. Me and Chahan J. Haraja, um, all this stuff we're talking about with Oregon, I'm going to repeat on that podcast. So I do have to be careful of like, well, what can I say? Cause I know some of you are going to listen to both and I'll try to keep 98% of it different, but we probably will wind up talking about Oregon as a national playoff contender uh, on that podcast. 
at some point this week, each week on that podcast, we pick a team and say, should you join the playoff discussion? We're starting off with Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma automatically in. In our first week, we said, should Texas A&M join that playoff discussion? And we voted and said, yes. Week two, which is coming out soon, um, we said, should USC join that discussion? So that's the, the college football playoff show. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Nathan. George Karloftis is like Big Ten Kayvon Thibodeau, right? And now the difference is we have George Karloftis, the, the defensive end, number two on our list, and we have David Bell, the receiver, um, number five on our list. Those are the – that's the highest-ranked Big Ten player on the list, Karloftis, and it's the second-highest-ranked Big Ten offensive player for Bell. Two of the five best guys, and then the whole point with Purdue is like, well, what else? What are the other 20? So I don't know that Karloftis and Bell are as important to Ohio State fans in the same way of like, hey, can these guys beat you? Except when I talked about like pass rushers and edge rushers, like single-handedly winning games, Ryan Kerrigan kind of beat Ohio State by himself a decade ago. And so to some degree, at least, I think Ohio State fans should be on Ryan Kerrigan alert when it comes to George Karloftis. Yeah, I'm not prepared to use Karloftis in the same breath as Kerrigan, but only because of the esteem that I have for Kerrigan. I know that, like, statistically and, um, you know, NFL draft projections would put him in the same conversation. But Kerrigan was a really special talent. I think he went on and showed that in the NFL over um, uh, many years with Washington. Um, but again, it's, it's that combination when we have these discussions about who you should be worried about as opponents, um, for Ohio state fans, you, you, the, the national context, context always helps. I mean, Rondo Moore and I guess Ohio state fans found this out in person, but that guy was a, a, an all American. That's a freshman all American. I mean, he went off and made a national impact as a, right away. Karloftis and Bell, I think were both freshman All-American on the national level by multiple publications. And they're both listed as you know potential first-round picks in the next NFL draft. I mean, those sorts of things are what should should wake people up. Because I think that when you look around the team and, you know, such and such uh, has potential or even returning, you know, first-team All-Big Ten players, I'm not saying that means nothing, but when you see these teams that have multiple guys who are considered among the best in the country at what they do, um, who who could I mean guys who no question I think would be in Ohio State starting lineup I guess Bell is the one where there's some question to that but you could put Bell on the outside and keep Wilson in the slot and you'd have something pretty fun going on at Ohio State this year so uh, th- that's maybe the the true barometer right like could this guy would this guy take someone who's a starter right now at Ohio State and push him to a different job I think that might be the case of both these guys so it is funny I mean it's not funny <laughs> it's not funny to any Ohio State fan but. It's like, oh, can George Karloftis be Ryan Kerrigan, who kind of single-handedly beat Ohio State? And can David Bell be Rondell Moore, who kind of single-handedly beat Ohio State? There is this, like, curse of Purdue that lingers out there, and everybody knows it, right? Nobody in the Big Ten can hang with Ohio State. You know, Minnesota and Indiana and some of these programs are trying to win, like, for the first or second time in 25 years against Ohio State. And Purdue's like, yeah, we're like a coin flip. We're like a coin flip when we play the Buckeyes and it's like it blows your mind. And there's a lot of weird sort of ancillary stuff that happened around things and whatever. But the bottom line is Purdue has hung with Ohio State. And I bet that could be one of those things that 
you know, I don't know when Rutgers faces or when Illinois faces Ohio State, I think maybe those programs are like, well, I don't know. What are you going to do? I think when like Purdue, I'm, you know, I know, you know, Jeff Brom talks about it. And, and the one in 2018 is not that long ago, but they they tell those guys, listen, man, we've beaten these guys three or four times in the last 12 years. Like, don't be afraid of them. There has to be a part to that. So how far Nathan, and, and we're going to get to Michael Penix in a second, because Stephen did the, the, the capsule on him, but Nathan did both the Bell capsule and the Karloftis capsule. So let me ask this question then. Of those two, who is the player that Ohio State fans should be more worried about in terms of being the guy who can almost win the game single-handedly? Is it Karloftis or is it Bell? And then I want to talk about how good David Bell is either way. I think it's probably Karloftis only because Bell is then dependent on a quarterback who can get in the ball against Ohio State. I think, and, and whereas Karloftis, yes, he has to go up against, as we've already said, two of the best tackles in the country, but at least he gets to control that himself. He can go out and win battles himself and affect the game. Um, now, that's not to say that great receivers sometimes with mediocre quarterbacks can't do great things. I think Bell has shown that in his career. That's why he's number five on this list. That's why he has the esteem he does on a national level. But I just think that I want the guy, if, if you're choosing between those two guys, I want the guy who is self-dependent on making the impact. I think what's interesting, you make that comparison before about um, Karloftis and Kerrigan, and I, I saw that game that Kerrigan single-handedly won, and um, I was there for the game that Moore single-handedly won. I would not, like I said, I already wouldn't compare Karloftis to Kerrigan. I wouldn't compare even Bell to Moore as far as their college football presence. Those guys both I would put in that same category as like Saquon Barkley and uh, players like that, Chase Young, who just transcend a little bit. That's that's another tier up there. But I don't know the Ohio State's had a guy on both sides – or sorry, I don't know that Purdue has had a guy on both sides of the ball at the same time to go up against Ohio State like this. So it, you're getting a not quite probably the, ta- the caliber of in these two guys, though not far away maybe, And but it's it's both at the same time. Now the other problem is, as I think we've already mentioned, there's only one other Purdue guy on this list, and he's all the way down at the bottom, and it was sort of like a – the, the the difference between like being 48th and being honorable mention for ours is pretty small. So um, it was Xander Horvath, a, a guy in the backfield who was like third team all big 10 last year and probably will not be all big 10 this year if, if a full season plays out with all the games. So that's the, the bigger problem for Purdue is yes, they've got these two good guys, but it, I don't know how many other people at Purdue you're worried about at all. This might be overthinking it a little bit, but I think it's also interesting how the top three also go in the order in which they play them. Thibodeau's first, and then Karloftis gets the second crack out, and then Aiden Hutchinson goes third, obviously, with the Michigan game. I, I, I think I agree with Nathan, but I also think that there is an argument to be made that David Bell is the bigger threat. Because, yes, Karloftis isn't depending on anybody, but also he's going to be playing Ohio State when C.J. Stroud or Kyle McCord is in their 10th game as a starter, and he still has all these weapons and still arguably the best tackle tandem in the country and the best two wide receivers in the country, and he's only gaining experience. So maybe what he learned from the Oregon game and from the you know Indiana game and the Penn State game, whatever Karloftis is as a threat, goes down a little bit because they continue to gain experience every single week. There was a, a PFF stat on David Bell, I'll say real quick, because I think it backs up what Steven's saying. Um he had 30 contested catches the past two seasons, and that's seven more than anyone in Power Five. So he's a guy that even when you cover him, sometimes it doesn't matter. He, he knows how to get a hold of the ball. David Bell is the number one receiver on our list, ahead of Ty Freifogel from Indiana, ahead of Jahan Dotson from Penn State in Phil Steele's preseason All-Big Ten team. 
His three receivers were Olave Wilson and Fryfogel. He had Dotson and Bell on his second team. Nathan, why do we have David Bell first on our list? Is it, I mean, you mentioned the contested catches. What else about him is special? I mean, I think that it's sort of that first and foremost. Um, it's his ability to, um, I mean, he's put, he's, he's put up huge performances. I mean, um, um, 1,035 yards and 86 uh, catches, uh, seven touchdowns as a freshman. Um, if, if you had prorated his performance last year, he would have surpassed that. He would have had like nine catches, 105 yards per game. He's just really prolific. And some of that came even sharing an offense with Ronda Moore, a guy who would have been the first option. As good as David Bell is, I think you're getting Ronda Moore the ball first in that offense if you, if you have the choice. Now, a lot of times Purdue didn't because Moore was hurt and, and out for other things. So, but, but even when he was sharing it, he was able to be an explosive player. He's able to be a really productive player. I think that to me was the thing, like there's no up or down with him. It has been a, a really consistent performance week in and week out and, and consistently strong, not just like consistently adequate. He he's um, you know, again, numbers wise and uh, the demonstrated ability to um, thwart what defenses are throwing at him and, and, and go up against sometimes even the other team's best defensive back when Moore wasn't there. Now all the attention goes on Bell and he's still having productive games. He's just a, a guy who I think um, surpasses uh, expectations more than someone like Fry Fowell or even Dotson. All right, let's stay on the offensive side of the ball and move to the guy who was number four on our list and was the number one offensive player on our list of top 50 Ohio state opponents. And that's Indiana quarterback, Michael Penix. He's still to me, he's big 10 good, right? You look at, he's not in a preseason all American conversation. He is not Sam Howell. He is not Spencer Rattler. He is not Matt Corral. He is not Caden Slovis. He is not JT Daniels. He's big 10 good. And I wonder about it. I think he he's had some great games. We saw, I mean, we watching him play against Ohio state last year in that second half, you could see what the best of Michael Penix looks like. And there's a lot there, but I also, I also, here's what I would say. I would bet that he is not the first team, all big 10 quarterback at the end of the year. I'm just going to guess. Now I don't know if it's going to be Graham Mertz. I don't know if it's going to be, CJ Stroud. I don't know if it's going to be Sean Clifford. I don't really think it's going to be Sean Clifford. I don't know if it's going to be JJ McCarthy. I don't know if it's going to be Tanner Morgan, but I just think it's very possible that he winds up not being the best quarterback, but I I'm not disagreeing with where we put him here. Steven, you wrote the Michael Penix capsule. He's not going to sneak up on anybody. He's a, he's a really good player, but he's not as scary as the guys that if Ohio state makes the playoff, they're going to have to face. Where do you think we should be in evaluating Michael Penix going into this year? Evaluating him is also evaluating Ohio State secondary and really just the Big Ten secondaries around the, uh, the conference in general because his stats are very lightning in a bottle-ish. Because he's been building up to the 491 yards he had against Ohio State. He had 238 against Rutgers, 342 against Michigan, and then the week prior to the Ohio State game, he had 320, and then obviously his season came to an end because of an injury against Maryland. But last year, he just kind of threw it all over the place 
because he was able to sneak up on guys. And the question is, is Ohio State secondary better? Because if it's not, then I'm not ruling out a 350 to 400 yard passing game from Michael Penix again, even if the web he lost one of his weapons. I still think that's out there on the table because a lot of that was coming in chunks. It was 50 yard touchdowns, 40 yard touchdowns and, you know, so on and so on down the board. It's not like he was working his way down the field. So it's great that to start a season, he is in the top five because of the way Indiana was scoring on Ohio State. It was a bunch of big plays. So is Ohio State going to improve on that and get not they're not 2019. They don't have that level of talent, but can they be more bend, not breakish? Because if they can, then you neutralize the guy who clearly depended on the big play a lot last year in comparison to some other quarterbacks around the Big Ten. 12 and two as a starter. I just think he's the kind of guy that's better when you don't see him coming. And, uh, and everybody's going to see him coming this year. Nathan, I, again, I'm not disagreeing with where we put him on the list, but do you generally agree or disagree when I say I don't think he'll be the first team all Big Ten quarterback at the end of the year? I think, yeah, I think I agree with that. It's, it, he's a hard guy to bet on for two reasons. Number one, that 12 and two you just mentioned does not include going to Wisconsin and winning. He was not the quarterback who did that. I'm not saying he couldn't have been, but he is uh, the poster child for my thing with Indiana, which is, who have you guys beaten and, and you know, who that's actually any good. Have you guys beaten yet? And that's still something that's kind of hanging around him a little bit. The other thing is his health. He's a tough guy to assume is going to play the full season. He has had legitimate, you know, injuries. It's not like he's a guy who begs out with nagging stuff, but he's also a guy who keeps getting hurt. So is he going to play a full season, which, or even anywhere close to it, which you'd have to do in order to be, I think the first team, all big 10 quarterback, unless you were really blowing it up. Steven mentions the other thing with him is, you know, one of the reasons why that Ohio State game, and we had talked about Michael Penix. We talked about him in 2019 for a game he didn't end up playing, but we had talked about how that was maybe going to be someone who threatened Ohio State a little bit. And we so we knew about him going into that game last year. I think one of the reasons, though, why that second half performance was a little bit surprising was because that performance the week before, I don't care how many yards came with it against Michigan state, not a great game. I mean, he threw at least a couple picks, if not three in that game. I, I remember watching that game and being like, Oh, I really don't think Michael Penix is that good. It probably actually added to my confidence of how Ohio state would win that game the next week. And then obviously he, you know, laser show against the Buckeyes. So, um, but again, as you say, um, there's a lot of guys back on this defense that are going to remember that are not going to be caught off guard. So we don't want to completely give it away, but in our Cleveland.com preseason poll, in addition to having everybody rank, the divisions, we also asked to give us your one, two, three for preseason offensive player of the year and preseason defensive player of the year. We're going to talk about that more on the Wednesday pod, because I do think the race between Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson to be the, to win that, I think is interesting. And I want to get into how we all voted. So I don't want to divulge that now, but so let me ask this, Steven, did you have, either David Bell or Michael Penix as one of your three people in your preseason offensive player of the year ballot for the big 10. Yes, I had Penix. And Nathan, did you have Bell or Penix in your preseason ballot? I technically have not voted yet, but oh, it's I, your poll. I know, which is why I haven't voted yet. <laughs> I also haven't, I haven't looked at the votes yet either. Um, that's, that's happening this afternoon, but I think right now I might, not have either of them in my top three. I had Bell, but not Penix. So this conversation tomorrow is going to be interesting. I'm, 
I'm considering a player that Ohio State does not play in the regular season for my third spot. But yes. it's also a player who would not – I don't think has any chance of winning. It's a lineman. Oh, right. Yeah. So, Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa. Yeah, you can say yes. his name. Who, who might be the best – I mean, he's considered among the best linemen in the country, if not the best. So, so I will say for our texters, and if you want to be a texter, you can join at 614-350-3315. I sent out the ballot to the texters because we want to have them have the same input as we're having all these writers around the, around the big 10 do. And so I did the same thing with them, but just to make it easy, I had them rank the divisions, but then I just gave them like a group of like eight to 10 options, what the most obvious options to me on each side of the ball. And I did put Tyler Linderbaum as one of the options for offensive player of the year. So I thought, I thought he at least deserved that. I do not think he will win. But I at least gave him that. So if you are a tech subscriber and you haven't voted yet, make sure you go and vote. And if you're if you're not a tech subscriber and like that sounds cool to you, like that's the kind of thing we're doing. We're doing these Mount Rushmores right now of Ohio State studs at each position. And we are going to work them into podcasts in August just because there's only so many podcasts that we can do that are about camp, 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 camp. And if you want to be part of that, we have done quarterback Mount Rushmore. We have done running back Mount Rushmore, getting ready to send out the receiver Mount Rushmore. And then we're going to do uh, pass rushers, linebackers and cornerbacks. And we're going to finish up with coaches, head coaches. So if that sounds cool to you, this would be a great time to join the tech subscription. Try a 14 day free trial. Get at least a couple votes in 614-350-3315. Let's talk about Michigan. And now, oh, but the I, I want to bring this up now that, that that Nathan mentioned it again. This is not a comprehensive Big Ten list. This is the teams that Ohio State plays. So it's everybody in the East, and then the three crossover West teams, which are Nebraska, Purdue, and Minnesota. So no Northwestern guys, no Wisconsin guys, no Iowa guys. Uh, I went through Phil Steele's preseason first team All Big Ten. He had twelve on each side for offense and defense because he threw an extra skill guy. Ohio State is playing 10 of the guys on his list. They are not playing eight of the guys on the list. And they have six of the guys on the list. So that shows, again, I mean, not playing Iowa, not playing Wisconsin. You're missing some talent here. Um, But getting Purdue, at least you get a couple of those guys, even though Purdue's not very good at Steve. All right, let's talk about Aiden Hutchinson. He's number three on our list. Pass rusher from Wisconsin, excuse me, from Michigan defensive end. I have not studied him much lately. I can't really remember him very well. And Ohio State didn't play Michigan last year. But I'm assuming he's a version of Chase Winovich because he's a white pass rusher from Michigan. Until I'm proven wrong, that's what I'm going to think of. And that guy's in the NFL. He's a good NFL player. He was a good college player. But I don't know that he scared anybody at Ohio State. So Aiden Hutchinson. Is should he be how worried should Ohio State be about when they get to the last game of the regular season? They face this guy. I think he has just as much to prove this season as Zach Harrison does for Ohio State. And I understand Zach Har- and uh, Zach, some of that is because he's a five star after Chase Young was a five star. So that's some of that. But it's the fact of the matter is, and looking at their stats, and I, I'm saying this understanding that Aiden Hutchinson was probably robbed of his breakout year because he had a right ankle injury pretty early on in the season. But their disruptive stats, so I'm not including the, ta- the normal tackles in this because obviously Hutchinson's probably played more snaps than what Zach Harrison has over the past two years given the death at Ohio State. 
disruptive stats, tackles for loss, Aiden Hutchinson has 11 in two years as a, as a, in two legitimate years as a starter. And then he has three and a half sacks. The three and a half sacks all happened in 2019. Zach Harrison, 10 tackles for loss, five and a half sacks. So it's, I think there's, it's fine that he's third on our list, but there is a legitimate gap between what he is as a defensive end and as a threat to Ohio State than what Thibodeau and Karloftis are. I think there's, there's expectation that maybe he could have broken out last year. Maybe he's headed in that direction this year, but I think he should be viewed the same way as Zach Harrison, where it's, it's interesting, but I'll believe it when I see it. Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, number three on our list. Safety Daxton Hill from Michigan, number 21 on our list. Backup quarterback for now, at least. J.J. McCarthy was number 28 on our list. Receiver Ronnie Bell, number 36 on our list. The combination of whatever the Michigan backfield is going to be, Hassan Haskins, Blake Corm, and freshman Donovan Edwards, they were a combined number 41 on our list. And then Cade McNamara, who's the incumbent quarterback, was number 50 on our list. Nathan, I think we learned this. This is not a shock, but when we look at the talent of Michigan in totality, um, especially if you want to compare it to a team like Oregon, it just doesn't measure up. Like it's, it's, you know, they've got, maybe they got some young guys coming in, you know, Daxton Hill was a big recruit. McCarthy and Edwards are both freshmen, but this is not a supremely one through 22 talented Michigan team that is going to be playing hosting Ohio state to end the season. Yeah, I mean, it sure seems like a roster that's still a year away from being a real threat, even with that game being in Ann Arbor. I guess the one thing that remains to be seen is what happens with that quarterback situation. And if if McCarthy hits and he gets to hit this year, then that potentially, as we've seen with any other team, if you get a real quarterback, a big time quarterback that can elevate things. So does that happen by the end of this season? That, that is still such a, a great unknown, whether it happens at all this year, let alone um, to what degree it happens, but that's, that's the, the real X factor. I think without that, with, with the same kind of, um, adequacy at best that they've had at, at quarterback. And I guess you'd probably argue it's been less than that more often than not, that that's not going to contend at least by, by the standards of trying to beat Ohio state, that this doesn't look like a roster that's enough, but I do think it's also important that when we do these, something like a, a top 50 list like this, that you, you do look for the accumulation of it and, and, how many guys do they, are they even able to put on this list? And with Oregon, it was, you know, we're, we're, they're putting, you know, three of the top 12 or whatever. And with Michigan, it just seemed like we, we had a lot of guys who we felt belonged on this list, but was one guy in the top 20, among one, one, one guy among the top 20 players yep. Ohio State will face this year. Like that's not what this rivalry is supposed to be. And that's not even me trying to disrespect the rest of the big 10, but Michigan's supposed to have more good football players than that. They just it's also in a vacuum. It's all- it's also just a lot of we're bringing this guy this high, but he might not even be on the list at the same time because he might not even play. And that's the case with the two quarterback situations. And even at the running back situation where there's maybe a high ceiling guy, but at the same time, maybe he doesn't reach that this year. And so it skews the rankings because, as you mentioned, with Oregon, it's a little more proven. You can say it with a little bit more confidence that, yes, this guy might be a threat to Ohio State, while with Michigan's guys outside of Daxon Hill and Aiden Hutchinson, you're not really sure. There's options, but not anything that you're concrete about. Michigan's highest ranked offensive player on this list is number 28, and that's even one where we kind of goosed it a little bit and put mm-hmm. J.J. McCarthy all the way that high. Not saying that we – I think we legitimately think – 
over time, he probably deserves that ranking, but he may, we, again, like I said, we don't know how much he's even going to play this year, if at all. So I don't know how Michigan ever really expects to compete with Ohio state unless it can get, now we could be wrong, but unless it gets more real offensive talent, I don't know how it ever happens. All right. We'll take our last break here on Buckeye talk and come back. And there's one more team on the schedule that I want to talk about the guys they have on this list. We'll do that next on Buckeye talk. Doug, Steven, Nathan, Penn state has Rashid Walker, their offensive tackle, at number seven on our list. Jahan Dotson, their great receiver, who made a bunch of one-handed catches last year. He's uh, number 10 on our list. Jaquan Brisker at safety, uh, one of those guys who decided to come back for the extra year. He's number 13 on our list. Brandon Smith at linebacker is number 19. Joey Porter at corner is number 20. Mike Miranda at center is number 26. Sean Clifford, the quarterback at number 37. And Parker Washington, a young receiver at number 47. Um, And then we didn't put Noah Kane, their sophomore running back on this list. I think he's a guy that people think has a chance to maybe pop this year. Their secondary is pretty interesting. I did the Brisker capsule. Brisker and Tariq Castro-Fields are both guys who took advantage of the chance to come back and play the extra year. Plus, we think Joey Porter is a talented guy at corner. That's a pretty good secondary. And then they have two, two of their offensive linemen are in our top 26. A lot of it comes down to how good Sean Clifford is. And I don't know that any of us really believe in Sean Clifford. Nathan, you and I talked about Sean Clifford last time. But I think when, when you're looking at a list like this and talking about depth of talent, there's a greater depth of talent for Penn State than there is for Michigan. And I'll just tell you, Phil Steele is way in on Penn State. He has Penn State as his number one most improved team in the country when he's looking for teams to take a big step up. This is something that I think might be something we end up writing off Big Ten Media Days. Michigan and Penn State both had crappy seasons last year, which which was a fluke and which was indicative. At the moment, I'm taking Penn State more of a, of a fluke, Michigan maybe more of a beginning of an end for the Harbaugh era. But let's keep it on Penn State for now, Nathan. Did this list offer any kind of reminder of like Penn State has some guys? Oh, no doubt. I mean, especially when we were talking about those defensive guys, right? I mean, we had some, we, we got together and did a call and put this list together. Um, and I think Brisker was a guy just because we had been seeing where he was showing up on NFL draft lists and uh, the, the, um, the esteem that was kind of out there for him as a national player, uh, Smith and, and Porter and uh, not so much Porter because he wasn't necessarily a huge recruit coming out of, of, of high school, but has already started to do some things on the field. And obviously he's got like that, that pedigree a little bit that people are aware of that he's trying to live up to. But the defensive side of the ball was where we thought this team really had individuals. Now, they did last year too, and that didn't matter. Yeah. I, I, I see a similar scenario playing out a little bit. I think they are better than Michigan, but I kind of feel the same way about Michigan. Unless you elevate the level of offensive talent that you have, and, and I'm probably – mostly talking about the quarterback position, then I don't know how you really go out there and compete with Ohio state for 60 minutes. Steven Rashid Walker was number eight on our list. You did that capsule, I guess. Well, I don't know who, let me, let me look who else is Ohio state not playing, but he's the highest tackle on our list of guys that the Buckeyes are playing. He is first team, all big 10 for Phil Steele preseason. He has Thayer Munford and Rashid Walker, as the tackles, he has Nicholas Petit Frere as a third team guy. Rashid Walker's legit, right? Yeah, I mean, 22 starts in 26 games as a left tackle. I mean, a former top 70 recruit, number 65 player, number six offensive tackle in the 2018 recruiting class. 
It's, I mean, but at the same time, Ohio State has become, and Ohio State Penn State games have become center stage for the next great defensive end to kind of show himself. Obviously, Chase Young did it in 2018 and 2019. Joey Bosa's done it last year. It was Tommy Togiai with the three sacks he had. So it, with Rasheed Walker, it's back talking about Zach Harrison again. Can he keep Zach Harrison from basically blossoming in that Penn State game as we've seen other defensive ends do in the past? I mean, this is a veteran all-Big Ten tackle, but at the same time, the depth that Ohio State has on the defensive line, especially on the edge this year with Zach Harrison, Tariq Smith, and then what we think Jack Sawyer might be able to do can he, you know, basically stop that? Basically stop that 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 kind of arrival that we've seen from Ohio State defensive linemen when they get up against Penn State. All right, last thing I want to cover before we get out of here is, and I'm okay giving away this vote because I think it's less interesting for for Ohio State fans. Uh, our pre, how we voted in our preseason defensive player of the year voting, I did vote for three guys that Ohio State is playing. Um, I did not vote for anybody from Ohio state and maybe I should have voted for Haskell Garrett, but I, I sort of want to see it a second time. Um, I voted George Karloftis number one, uh, the Minnesota linebacker, Nathan boy, Mafi, how, how you are Mafa. How, I'm, I'm how, you did his capsule. How do we say that? I've been pronouncing it. Boya Mafe. I can't Boya say Mafe. that. I researched okay. it. Boya Mafe, Minnesota linebacker. Then I had Aiden Hutchinson third. I thought about putting Haskell Garrett there. Uh, Steven, how did you do your preseason defensive player of the year vote? Karloftis was number one for me. Karloftis, <clears throat> excuse me. Karloftis was number one for me. Aiden Hutchinson was number two, just because I know for everything I just said a minute ago, but at the same time, he's going to have plenty of opportunities because I don't think he's coming off the field for them the same way that some other guys will. And then I had Michael McFadden from Indiana, the linebacker for at number three. Just because of the way Indiana plays. Nothing against defensive tackles, but it's like, you know, I don't know that they win like overall defensive player of the year kind of things. Nathan, you said you haven't done your voting yet. Are you imagining you'll vote for Karloftis, who is number two on our list? I haven't. Yeah, I I think Karloftis is locked in as my number one. The the one I'm trying to decide. I think Hutchinson will be in my top three. I was also looking at Brandon Joseph, the the safety for Northwestern, who had a, a strong year last year. I think he's a really good player. That third spot's the one where I'm kind of wavering. And I have considered, like, does an Ohio State guy deserve that, either Garrett or uh, – because it, it's hard. Like, are you basing – like, I've had people ask me this who vote. And are we voting trying to predict the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, or are we voting by who we think the top three defensive players are? It's one of those things. It's like I think there's no answer to that. Um, on one hand, I think it's like who deserves it right now? But on the other hand, if you get it right, you're going to be like, aha, I, pr- I predicted it correctly. Right? right. So it's like both things are true. So I don't think there's I don't think there's a right answer to that. But like I would have a hard time like. I wouldn't put Jack Sawyer in my top three, oh, even right. if I thought to myself, I think Jack Sawyer might lead the Big Ten in sacks this year. And I think he might win it. I wouldn't vote for him now because he's never played college football. So I don't know if that's the right way, but that's kind of how I think of it. That's the balance and almost really the difference when you're doing stuff like this between basketball and football. I think in basketball, the Jack Sawyer 
you can say I think he might be the player of the year just because of how that sport works. But I did want to throw out a dark horse, Brandon Smith, linebacker out of Penn State, who's on our list as well, but former five-star who might just be their next Micah Parsons this year. So Micah Parsons isn't here again. Once again, he's already had a year of experience under his belt. He's now in year three. Maybe he explodes even if Penn State doesn't necessarily get back to being Penn State. I do like in basketball, if you hold back too much on true freshmen, you're like not going to get the chance to vote for a guy because it's like, oh, I didn't want to vote for Cade Cunningham for preseason Big 12 player of the year. And it's like, well, now he's gone. Mm -hmm. Like in football, like Jack Sawyer is going to be back. So if you're like, you know, you don't have to vote for him before he's ever played a down because next year he will be the preseason Big Ten defensive player of the year. Right. So like it'll be fine or it'll be JTT. So anyway, um, all right, that's going to do it. That's our top 50 roundup. You can go on on Tuesday morning. Nathan has the final piece on on Kayvon Thibodeau. And then if you find that on Cleveland.com, at the bottom of it are the links to the other 49. So if you want to go through, listen, we didn't spend 30 hours watching film on each guy, but we told you what they've done in their careers and how they might hurt Ohio State, which I think if you're listening to this podcast is probably what you care about. Some basic stats, height and weight, what year they are. It's just a nice little breakdown if you're getting ready to refresh yourself. We don't expect, you know, that you read all 50 all summer while you're on vacation. So if you want to catch up, go find Nathan's post about Kayvon Thibodeau. Just Google Kayvon Thibodeau and Cleveland.com and Nathan Baird, and it'll pop up. And then they're going to all be at the bottom there. And then Wednesday, get ready, because we're going to talk about everything with our preseason balloting. We've already divulged our ballots on Market Down Monday for how we thought teams are going to finish in the Big Ten this year. But we'll talk about what the rest of the writers did. We'll give our picks for Offensive Player of the Year. And we'll just kind of reset as we head into Big Ten Media Days on Thursday. And let me also note this again, talking things out live on the podcast. Unless Stephen and Nathan have huge objections, we will not have a podcast Thursday. And then we will go Friday morning, Saturday morning. So that way we're not trying to like do everything Thursday. We get done at five o'clock and we're trying to get up a podcast like at 10 o'clock at night for a Thursday podcast. So Thursday will just be chill. Follow along on the texts, 650-614-350-3315. Read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. And then Friday, the Friday morning pod, we'll talk about everything we learned Thursday from Michigan and Penn State and some teams like that. And then the Saturday morning pod, we'll talk about everything we learned talking from the teams on Friday, and that includes Ohio State. So no Thursday pod, but you're still getting five because you're getting that Saturday pod instead. It just works with the timing. That sound all right to you guys? Sounds perfect. Yeah. Better than staying up until 11 o'clock at night trying to process a pod and get it out. All right. Thanks to you guys for being part of it. Make sure you're reading us. Make sure you're dropping reviews. We certainly always appreciate you guys being active with that. And again, it's kind of that time. If you've been waiting to pull the trigger on the text, 614-350-3315, now's the time to do it. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.